podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Ashes Daily Podcast on what feels like a pivotal day two of the final test match. I'm Katie Whitney and I'm joined by Mel Farrell at the Kia Oval about half an hour after play's finished. Mel, what did you think of Australia with the bat today? It was a bizarre day, wasn't it? It was a really weird day. Uh, they came out at first session, I, I just kept looking at the scoreboard and just saying, oh, it's not going anywhere. And it, 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 the contrast from England was amazing. It was incredible that they got to a position so similar to England at the end of the day, going at it completely uh, a different way. Yeah, and it was interesting asking Steve Smith about that afterwards, about the tactical thinking behind that. You know, were they trying to you know, get Wood, Mark Wood, into his third or fourth spells and and really tire them out? And he actually said, no, there were no tactics. There was no there was no plan. Um, people were just batting how they were batting, which I thought was quite fascinating because that sort of made sense that they might do that, that they might try and sort of really grind Australia down. I know that's what a lot of people felt, and I did too, that they sh that, that England should have done when Nathan Lyon was injured at Lords uh, for that period of time. And it just came into the day feeling like Australia were in a really good position and you got to lunch and you felt like, did we just have a session almost? Uh, so it was really, really strange. I, I thought, well, if they end up going on batting big, making a huge score, this is all going to make absolute sense, especially if England are knackered. Moen already has an injury. But uh, Australia aren't a side generally that has big collapses. It wasn't like a massive calamitous collapse today, but they did lose five for 70 after lunch, which is which is enough. And all of a sudden it was, I was thinking back to all the stuff that the basballers have been saying about, well, you can go along and, and sort of play relatively risk-free cricket and then you get a good ball and the scoreboard hasn't moved. And it was almost like we saw the antithesis of that today. Uh, and they were very fortunate in the end that they had the Smith-Cummins partnership and that Todd Murphy came in and, and you know, did really, really well, particularly against Mark Wood, maybe battered as well to Mark Wood as, as anybody has all series. So excuse me for my voice, by the way, this is the eighth test in eight weeks and it's, <laughs> it's showing. But yeah, so it was just a weird day. And, now, and yet again, I get to the end of it and I've just got no idea what's, what's really going on. And I felt that way yesterday after England had battered. I, I wasn't sure if that was a good score or not. So it continues to be difficult to judge. Absolutely. I think this morning was the first time in this series that it's actually felt pretty turgid. Like, oh, yeah. I think it was something like 21 runs in the first 14 overs mm. of play or something. And that's not to say they didn't do a good job because don't forget, Australia don't have to win this test match. So it's not on them to move the game forward in a way that, that moves it towards an Australia win. Um, but yeah, this morning was actually quite hard to yeah. watch, I found. England did bowl well. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's give England a lot of credit. The ball was doing ball was doing quite a bit uh, and it obviously wasn't but there were there was also part of you that wanted them to be a little bit more proactive it didn't feel like it was particularly uh, proactive and seeing Manus 
soak up that many balls. And, you know, Steve Smith said they were absorbing pressure. So that's a real buzzball phrase as well, <laughs> isn't it? Absorb pressure. He also used the term pull the trigger, which is another buzzball reference. So look, it's seeping into their conscience, whether they like it or not. Yeah, I mean, you're right to point out England did bowl well. I thought Jimmy Anderson actually bowled pretty well this morning. I think he probably bowled his best spell of the series this morning. Didn't pick up any wickets till he got Marsh after lunch to a, to a chop on. He's just said in the in the uh, to BBC TMS, I think, that um, he's not going to retire anytime soon. He's averaging more than 74 in the series so far. Um, now, what do you think of the point Anderson's at right now? Yeah, well, it, it has been strange. It's, it's been one of the, the series where you, you feel he hasn't made as much impact if, you, if you're looking at it in terms of wickets. I'm not sure that that's the only uh, way that you judge Jimmy Anderson as well. Uh, for me, the fascinating thing about Jimmy Anderson is that the age he's at, the success he's had, in England in particular, but also overseas in doing what he does so brilliantly and using the skills he has. But in the past 16 months, he has adapted and he's started doing things that he never has done before, whether it's, you know, not taking the new ball, whether it's bowling periods of short pitch bowling. So he's basically embraced everything that they're doing and he's happy to do jobs that might not be his natural way of taking mm. wickets as well. Uh, so he's kind of gone away from it, but he's doing it because of the team, because he wants to do what the team wants and he wants to do what, whatever Ben Stokes wants him to do. And and within that, he's, he's developed in other ways and he's been brilliant in, in other series in the past sort of 16 months. Uh, so it's, it's he's also having as much fun as he's ever had and he is, he's said that. So if he can continue... If he's just had a sort of not great series, if he continues to have an impact in other series, then, you know, fair enough if his body can keep going. I guess it's hard to judge. We probably wouldn't be saying this is if he was five years younger, right? So yeah. that's, the, that's the main thing in there. If he was having slightly an off series. But I guess it's, it's not just wickets that you judge Jimmy on. It's a whole range of other things as well. And it's amazing that he's still trying new things. Yeah, I mean, you're right in saying that if he was five years younger, it might not matter as much. You're, when you turn 40, you're not allowed a bad series, right? Um, and I also think for what it's worth that we won't know it's Jimmy Anderson's last test match until it's actually happened. I don't mm. think he's won for that Alistair Cook style, massive send off. Um, but I also kind of think that now might be the best time on all sides. I think for years, England fans have worried about what it's going to be like when Anderson retires and who's going to get them all those wickets with the new ball and, and rescue that batting lineup. And there are people now who are performing with Robinson in this series and the emergence of Josh Tung and all of those people who, and Mark Wood and Chris Wokes, who do have those skill set and the batting lineup is firing a lot more than it was over the last five years. Maybe this would be the easiest transition yeah. uh, for Jimmy to make, but you know, he'll continue to play test cricket until he wants to stop playing test cricket, really. He'll, they'll, 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 he'll be bowling with a Zimmer frame, basically. <laughs> uh, we also witnessed uh, some controversy today. What was nearly a brilliant piece of fielding by George Elam, who's a substitute fielder on for Murray Nally. Um, he's on Surrey's staff here. He sprinted in, picked up the ball, Gary Pratt-esque, throw at the stumps. Uh, and on initial look on the third umpire, it looked like Steve Smith was short of his ground. But the third umpire ruled that the wicket hadn't been fully broken by the time that Smith had 
regained his ground. However, there was some, <laughs> there was some analysis on Sky that then pointed to the fact that the wicket might have been fully broken before Smith had made his ground and therefore he would have been out. However, there was also some ambiguity over whether Johnny Bairstow had broken the wicket before the ball had even reached his hand. It's another one of those cricket is just ridiculous moments. What's your take on it? Yeah, yeah cricket's a stupid sport. Yes. We, we talked about all of these and that was basically the only thing that we could come to. Imagine trying to explain that to someone who was new to the game and hadn't watched cricket before. When you're, when you're down to having to talk about spigots and grooves, you're really in a lot of trouble. Uh, Stuart Broads just said he he didn't doesn't even really know what what the rule is. <laughs> I, and I also think it's one of those ones that you're probably going to look at it depending on which team you support. It's it's one of those ones where whichever way the decision had gone, someone would have a, a problem with it. One side would have an issue with it. I don't think the players actually had an issue with it at all because you know, if you're given out you're given out um and it was so I, i'm just even listening to your explanation of it when it's so convoluted it's really hard but i do think that of all the um little gimmicks that have been introduced to cricket over the years for, for various reasons the one that has made the most cricket sense and i think has been the best is the zing bales yeah because in run-out situations, in something situations, they often remove some ambiguity. Uh, whether they would have or not in, in this case, we don't know. Again, in the press conference, Stuart Broad told him that, that the umpire said to him, if, if there had been zing bales, that probably would have been out. Uh, I'm, I'm actually not sure what that means. That's, that's really strange woman to me. But what it might have done is actually made things a little bit clearer to to when the the stumps were broken or when maybe we need partial zim, zing bales that's what we need we need half a light for partial and half a light for full because both grooves have to be out apparently for the bale to be judged removed maybe we know. need hawkeye on the zing bales maybe that's a new one that we could introduce well yeah and and it comes carried in by spider cam <laughs> I, I just don't know it's it's a really strange one but the um, unfortunate thing for England was what happened after that, yes. that point in time, because it was after then, and I, I don't. That was so celebrating really hard. And Steve Smith looked like uh, he, he was gone for money and he was about to walk yeah. off anyway. And even after the replays, the England players were really celebrating as well. So whether or not there was a bit of deflation after that, but it just you know that, that after that that it, at that point it. it could have really gone a different way for Australia and England could have a healthy lead, but you know, sliding doors could have water should have. Yeah. Well, when Steve Smith did eventually get out playing a pretty ridiculous shot, to be honest with you, um, Todd Murphy came in and played Mark Wood better than any other Australia batter has probably played Mark Wood for the entirety of the time he's been playing in the series. Um, and that meant Australia now have a slight lead going mm. into, into day three. Um, Moen Ali, we haven't seen him at all today. He hasn't taken the field. He's still got that groin injury. He's going to have to wait 120 minutes or until England are five wickets down before he can bat tomorrow. Mel, which one's going to happen first? Oh, wow. Hang on. That 120 minutes. Yep. It's two hours. So one session, five wickets down. No, no. I, I reckon, I reckon 
120 minutes first. That's the faithful response that we would want. That... <laughs> I'm going in hard. I'm very rarely going hard. I like to sit on the fence, but I'm going in hard on that. No, yeah. What are your predictions for the rest of tomorrow? What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> I just don't know. Uh, like we have with all of this. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how the pitch plays because you'd think day three here at the Oval is generally the best day mm. for batting. So uh, it, things brighten up a little bit as well. Might be a little bit of rain around. Oh, great. Uh, England are going to go for it, aren't they? It's going to be more of the same. In England are going to go for it. Uh, and maybe this will be one of the most baseball-y kind of innings that we see all series. It's, it could it, it, it could probably go one of two ways. This is like 120 minutes or five wickets down. That probably sums up tomorrow. It's It's either... England go for it and put on a really, really, really good score uh, or this is where it all comes horribly unstuck mm. and uh, they have a bit of a collapse and Australia, uh, you know, we might be heading for a four-day test. Could we, we might be, be for a four-day test? Yeah. So basically the speculation is at the start of every day's play for this series, England might go really well or they might go really badly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my only, only prediction. It's the only way I can know because after every day, I still go, yeah, not really sure here. There's every, every chance that we'll be here at the end of the day tomorrow. Not here because I'm not doing the pod tomorrow, but we will be here at the end of tomorrow going, who's on top? <laughs> Just like every day in the series. Well, we'll find out tomorrow. Thanks, Mel. We're in for another thrilling day um, of Test Cricket at the Kia Oval tomorrow. Uh, you can tune into the pod to hear us dissect all the crucial events from another pivotal day. Sports Social Podcast Network.